Hi there, I'm Danny Jones. Welcome to the podcast. Here we have conversations with people whose work intersects with climate in some way. Today, I'm really happy to bring you this conversation with my friend, Celine Oise. Celine is an associate senior lecturer in climatology at the University of Gothenburg, and she joined us to talk about her experiences, which led her into polar science and physical oceanography, and also we talked about her views on academia. I've known Celine since 2013 or 2014. We had some overlap in the UK. We were living in the UK at the same time for a period and working at different institutes. And since then, we've stayed in touch, meeting at conferences and now kind of interacting on Twitter, on Science Twitter. So I've been wanting to have her on the podcast for a long time, and I'm really glad we got the opportunity. I wanted to flag some things up here in the beginning to give you a bit of a mild trigger warning that in this conversation we do talk about death, we talk about grief, we talk about abuse, and we talk about kind of feelings of despair watching the cop process play out. And overall, how that fits into just general mental health as a scientist and how you look after your own mental health. We talk about time management, balancing teaching, supervision, and research, all of that. We also talk about Celine's background including the lasting effect of growing up near the ocean in Normandy, and also being pressured into taking the options that uh, kept the most doors open. And we'll describe what that is, you know, that kind of pressure to keep your options open. Yeah, we talked about uh, the current system of requesting nominations for awards, which Celine uh, kind of recently learned some things about that, and she's going to share that with us, what that system is like. And we kind of end, we didn't talk about science a ton, actually. We did talk a little bit about Python and some of the challenges of getting started with Python, as, as good as it can be. Sometimes it is a bit difficult. That initial spin-up, that initial startup can be a little bit challenging. And there's one big thing. This is more embarrassing for me than, than anybody. I put my foot in my mouth during this interview. I made a really uh, insensitive joke, but uh, I'm leaving it in as an example of, uh, you know, what to do. I'm not saying I'd handled it perfectly, but I, I'm leaving it in as an example of, yeah, sometimes people make mistakes and, you know, the best you can do is own it, try to learn from it, try to move on. Celine was okay. Everything was fine. You know, there was no trouble. She told me not to worry about it. She told me that, that it was all okay. And I really appreciated the way that she took care of, of me in that moment, even though I was the one who put my foot in my mouth and made kind of the insensitive joke. But, uh, you know, I think I may have put my guard down slightly because I do consider Selena a friend. So I think maybe, maybe my guard was slightly relaxed in that sense. And that's not to excuse the comment or anything or to excuse the bad joke, but it, you know, it happened. And I want to leave it in as a genuine moment, a genuine uh, kind of misstep on my part and how we all handled that and how we all cared for each other in that moment. Uh, which again, I really, really appreciate it. They didn't have to do it. Celine didn't have to do it. Uh, everybody was very chill about it and, and cool. And um, I'm really fortunate to have such good friends and people to talk to on this podcast. And I'm also, speaking of gratitude and being fortunate, I'm also really fortunate to have all of you listening, downloading, subscribing, leaving comments, sending me emails. I really, really appreciate it. I very much want to keep this podcast up. I want to keep it going. With the current other commitments in my life, I think about once a month is realistic. I think I can keep that up. I can't do much more frequently than that, but I will do my best to keep these coming. So thanks for coming back and thanks for listening. And uh, well, welcome if you're a first time listener also. All right. I think I have said everything I need to say up here, up top. So without 
any more rambling from me, let's just go ahead and get into this episode with Celine Jose. Here we go. Before I forget, I want to say thanks for being here. It's really nice to have the chance to, to talk to you. And yeah, thanks really, for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. So we've known each other a while. Mm. Um, I can't remember exactly when it was, but you came over Bass to Bass Beach. to give a talk 2014, 2015. I don't remember if that's the first time we met, but I know I was running the seminar series at the time and we had a budget for it at the time. So I was looking for people and bringing them over. I can't remember if we met before that or if I just like found your name and said, oh, she'd be a good person to invite over. I'm not sure uh, because I had met other Bass people that you were working with at that time before. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I remember at least meeting Jean-Baptiste Sadeh already in my first year of a PhD. And he definitely remembered me because I was this one that swore next to him at a conference <laughs> in French. <laughs> so that's a good way to make a first impression on someone. <laughs> Kick the door down, start swearing. Yeah. In <laughs> French, it's the approach I go for as well. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was you. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know Definitely. if we had met after, well, before, whenever I came to Bath. I mean, I was not that far mm. from Bath, but I'm not no, sure. No, because you were at the University of East Anglia, not too I far away. I was indeed. In Norwich, which for those Norwich. who don't know, Norwich <laughs> is uh, like an hour, hour and a half away by by, the, by train, you know, roughly. <laughs> yeah, or four far. hours if you take the wrong bus as well, as I did <laughs> last time I went oh, there. I've done that as well by accident, <laughs> rail replacement. Mm. I also went to UEA. In fact, I think we were probably there at the same time. Um, I was doing my master's in probably when you were doing your PhD. Uh, <laughs> same department, though. <laughs> yeah, but I don't but remember yeah, if, I, uh, if I had to supervise, well, had to, if I if I was teaching in one of your classes, because I don't think I did. I don't think mm. so. I don't think so. Mm. You probably passed each other in the hallway. and Yeah, just, yeah. yeah I just ignored <laughs> each other. Because yeah. maybe you went into my office because you were lost, as it happened very often. <laughs> like People just ended up in the office, which was, the thing you meet when you're at the top of the stairs, if you take the wrong staircase. Oh. And then we regularly had undergrads or first year masters rocking up there and saying, oh, sorry, uh, what's the way to enter which room you're looking for? <laughs> I can just picture you posting a map right outside of your office. Like, look, here, here's where all the rooms are. Okay, mm. just like. <laughs> we are not your teaching room. I'm pretty sure at some point someone got tired and put a sign like that. But uh, Yeah, I remember there being a sign on a door oh. that was like that. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Not me. <laughs> I mean, I'd been there for four years by that point, so I think I didn't get lost anymore by then. But, you know, mm. there's there's always those wrong turnings on those staircases mm-hmm. that all look the same, like any university anywhere. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I was um, early on in my time at Bass here, I was invited to um, – not invited, sorry, that's too grandiose. I actually – offered to give a talk at UEA and they said, yeah, sure. Come on over. So I, I did, this was really early on and I didn't know they were planning a whole day for me, which now I understand is like normal. It's like, that's what you would do is you would plan a whole day, mm-hmm. but I w- I'd only been here like a month or two. So I really didn't understand that that was like the normal UK lecture circuit thing was you know, your host like sets up meetings for you and, mm-hmm. you know, tries to get you connected. So I rocked up like an hour before my talk and they're like, where have you been? <laughs> We've been looking for you. And I'm like, what? 
what's happening? And I, I apologized by so, so much afterwards, and I apologized by email. And I just got back like a one-line reply that was that just said, thanks for coming. And I was like, oh, no, I have offended. I have offended UEA. I'll never be invited back. I'll never. <laughs> oh, that's the um, typical British thing. That's technically thanks for coming is a perfectly nice answer. But since you know the context, you know that that means that everyone is really, really upset at you now. <laughs> Thank you for like coming. Regards. Yeah. <laughs> no which, warm, no which kind. Is so neutral to me to just write regards. Like, okay, I, I have uh, to write something at the end of an email because this is the way humans behave. Okay, what am I supposed yeah. to write? Cheers is a bit too much normally. So yeah, yeah. Uh, regards, that will, that will do it, you know. <laughs> I think we get a little bit of a pass, don't we, Celine? Like, you know, we're not from here. Uh, I know you're not in the UK right now, but I just mean operating in the UK. Like, I think we get a little bit of a pass because we're just not, sorry, we're not We're not British. We don't know the super subtle, like, oh, you left You don't have a, decades you know. of layered rules and the weight of social pressure. <laughs> no. <laughs> and learned, learned norms. No, well, eventually just... you get to pass. But I mean, I remember my first year of PhD getting absolutely insane at the fact that my supervisor and I did not understand each other. Uh... She would say like, oh, that sounds interesting, which mm -hmm. apparently means, yeah, you're wasting your time. Don't do that. <gasps> oh <my> or God. <laughs> maybe you should consider doing that, which... Yeah, I'm considering it. No, I'm not doing it. And whereas it yeah. meant seriously do it or I'm going to really destroy <laughs> you at the next meeting. And we had wow. so many arguments during our first year together. Oh and gosh. all of that because, you know, just saying yes or no is a bit too, whoa, mm. too easy. That sounds really hard. Mm. If you're just like not on the same page communication wise, you almost need a translation guide. For like, what does this phrase actually mean? I've seen many things, yeah. and I wish I had access to that type of stuff. Like people joking about it and writing like what people say in the UK versus what it actually means. And I wish that I had had access to that. I had a conversation like this with a um, with someone who works in the corporate world, and I actually at some point said to her like, "Oh, hey, let's keep in touch," which I meant sincerely, like I did mean that. And she had to explain to me that, like, oh, I'm sorry, that phrase is a bit, it just makes me feel bad when I hear that phrase. Because in my world, the corporate world, as she was saying, that phrase basically means, leave me alone. Never talk to me again. I, I'm done with you. <laughs> like, the opposite yeah. of what <laughs> you intended, presumably. <laughs> right? I don't know how people do it. I don't know. I just need to say what I mean. I need to hear what people mean. I cannot navigate all the layers of... Um, you know, the, the the layers of intrigue, I guess, or whatever you want to call it. And let's just say what we mean. Let's just like be clear and direct. I, I do like that about, I mean, your example, notwithstanding, uh, Celine, but I do like that generally about science is, you know, we're, we're nerdy. And I think often we do just say what we mean. I mean, I don't know. That's or maybe I'm totally wrong, and I've just been assuming that everybody <laughs> says what they mean, and maybe I've been putting my foot in my mouth constantly, which is possible. Um, but fine, also I can I can handle it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Oh, you know, this might be really weird. I hope you don't mind. But Celine, would you mind just like saying your name so we have like the proper pronunciation? <laughs> I was wondering at what time you're going to ask me that. I'm so used to that question of how do you pronounce that. <laughs> Well, I feel like I know, but I just wanted to get you to, like, I wanted to be on record. Like, mm. here's how, here's how so, you, know, you say it. I am French. 
-hmm. And I come from the north. That means that we do not breathe as we're speaking. So you just spit it out in one go, and that becomes selinose. Oh, selinose. Yes. Close. Okay. No, it's quite good, (laughs) actually. That was a good tip. Don't breathe. That was actually really helpful. (laughs) It's only recently that I realized that's what everyone is getting. Like, that's why it never sounds right, no matter how hard people are trying. It's because they take a break between the first name and the last name. And (laughs) just don't. Go for it. Get it out. (laughs) Get it out there. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's a that's a great tip. Whereas I guess in other other French pronunciations, I don't mean this, and I hope this isn't too bad, but I, there's some French pronunciations where you kind of stop halfway through, where there's like more letters, you just don't say them, right? They, there's extra, but then you don't you don't agree, you don't think that's true. It depends which. Uh, I mean, I come from basically the the Denmark of France, so that means that okay. you see the letters and you don't necessarily realize. Like, where have they gone when the people pronounce things? Because yeah, they pronounce yeah. it so fast and half of them disappear in the process. Yeah, Whereas so fast. If you go to the south, then, yes, they add extra E's everywhere. And at least that's how it <laughs> sounds to me. And that they're really, I would be Céline, Eze, or whatever. <laughs> <Not quite sure. laughs> but they would really take Céline. their time. <laughs> sounds like a French-Canadian. <laughs> oh, wow. Sounds like my family. <laughs> oh, this is, this is really fascinating. This is cool. I, I just know so little about like the different French pronunciation dialects. That's really a, a fun I went a to Brussels topic. recently and my cousin, who is French-Canadian, um, did uh, entertained us for the entirety of a whole dinner with all the various French pronunciations of different things. So all the like Francophone pronunciations, so not just French-French. And then he was like, okay, well, this is Paris and this is the north of France. This is the south of France. This is Montreal. This is Quebec City. This is the outskirts of Montreal. <laughs> and this is mm. like Acadia. And that, yeah, we had he had us in stitches. It was brilliant. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> Fred Armisen does something like that. Um, he, he does this tour of the US where he has a map and basically points to different parts of the US and you know, just does the different pronunciations all all around the U.S. and it's a, uh, it's really good. It's really funny. I've seen one for the U.K. too. The, there's a, a video that was going around a while ago of somebody doing all the regional U.K. dialects, which of course changed so dramatically. Twenty miles down the road, and it sounds different. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Take the train up to Liverpool, and just you hear it as people get on and off. You hear the the language shifts <laughs> as you go between like here and Liverpool. It's really cool. <laughs> Oh man, so I wonder, could you tell us, Celinoze? Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, breathe. Yes. What have you been working on? Like, what's some of your projects and your interests, and what's kind of got your attention these days? What uh, what have you been digging into? Honestly, these days I've been mostly doom scrolling um, either mm. Twitter or the news to see what's going on at COP twenty six and yeah, and I knew I should not because it's just making me sad. But I mm-hmm. I just can't not do it. It's it's like a yeah. dramatic car accident. I think I have to watch what's happening. Very slow motion car accident. Yeah, happening over a couple of weeks. Yeah, and you know the I car is going to explode. But sorry. <laughs> no no yeah I, I i had to disconnect yeah yeah you know the car is going to explode you know it's not going to end well mm. and um, you just see people putting more petrol on top of the car because hey it's why not that's the best way to do it that's the way we know how to do it and everyone's saying let's agree to um stop the car in 50 years mm. <laughs> <laughs> let's agree to press the brakes in 10,000, 9,999. Yes, that's it. That's what it feels like. 
Oh my gosh. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I've been, uh, I've had a regular radio slot every day, which is about de- dissecting the day's cop news. So mm-hmm. I've been forced to be doom scrolling. And it's uh, honestly, oh. I think it's done me no wonders for my mental health. Maybe we need to talk about something else. <laughs> sorry, about, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. It's over now. It's over now. Why is not? <laughs> the beginning. Uh, it's the beginning yeah. of uh, yeah. the yeah. rest. Well, I mean, speaking of mental health, if you don't mind talking about it, I think that's one of the cool things that that you do that you're good about is talking about mental health stuff. And I try to as well. I try to be open about that. But um, I really, I really appreciate you you doing that. I think it's good to be open about what we're all going through and to kind of give a give a more realistic picture of like, well, here's what life as a scientist is is actually like, and life as an academic. That you know, it's not just the um, you know, pretty images and the kind of clean um, presentation of, uh, yeah, look at all the great research I'm doing and look at all the, you know, there's also lots of, of struggles and lots of challenges. Um, sometimes they're personal ones, sometimes they're professional ones, and sometimes those overlap and intersect. And uh, so like, what do you, do, do you, if you don't mind talking about why it, are like, you doing that? Yeah, well, <laughs> the doom scrolling thing. Yeah. Well, we mm. kind of have we, we we do sort of have have to be somewhat engaged with that, right? Like mm. in our our field, we probably can't totally disconnect from it. But I don't know. I've I've had to disconnect for a little while just to give my from social media to give myself a pause and to try to engage lightly with it. But I have a harder time if it's on my phone. Like if it's on my phone, then it's difficult to disengage entirely because then you kind of sit down and you jump into it i thought you had deinstalled twitter from your phone i remember you saying that a few months ago that you had removed it i i didn't have it on there at all for a while mm-hmm. and then i put it on there and then i took it off mm-hmm. so i'm i'm experimenting you know mm-hmm. and i'm seeing what works and what doesn't work some people so like my my dad at some point decided he wasn't going to watch the news at all he wasn't going to like engage with that and I sort of understand where he's coming from, right? It's that level of, I don't want to be plugged into this feed of uh, things that can raise my anxiety and things that can just make me feel really um, overwhelmed and anxious. Um, so I understand that kind of idea. And he kind of feels like, well, eventually I hear what I need to hear anyway. It kind of filters through. Um, I don't know if that would work for us in our field necessarily. And, and I will say that like science Twitter overall has been really good for me in terms of making connections with people and networking yeah i don't know i'm i'm talking too much maybe i'm bringing up a whole lot of possible different things we could talk about but what, what do you that? want me to How jump you... in and, uh, and comment yeah. on what you just said and like so yeah, i've yeah. I honestly have periods where i can feel that i'm like sinking back into depression and where mm-hmm. i do exactly that i refuse to engage with well i take breaks basically for my mental yeah. health so i don't read the news because i know that then it's there's not an accurate representation of the world that there mm-hmm. are good things happening but i would not read about them in the news i would just see like the latest climate catastrophe um, or yeah things that are mm-hmm. not good for me or hear about people that get murdered hear about animals that get abused and that's definitely not something i want at that mm-hmm. particular time and there yeah. are even moments where i refuse to engage with well with Twitter, climate Twitter, or with mm-hmm. anything like arguing that, especially out of working hours, saying I'm not paid for it right now, mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then there are other periods where I don't, I don't know, I binge 
well, absorb all the drama and it just fuels my anger and I mm-hmm. use that to, as a sort of motivation for, okay, the world is a horrible place. This is why I need to keep going. Mm. So I keep oscillating between these two things. I'm never at a happy neutral, honestly. Yeah, I can relate to that. It, it's such a tricky balance to to find, you know, like how mm. much engaging with the chaos is the right amount of engaging with the chaos. Like it's mm. not really obvious. And sometimes um, it really feels, okay, that's the only social media I use. I used to be on Facebook until I realized that I actually don't care about most mm-hmm. of the things that people post and the ones with whom I would like to talk it's just this strange feeling that they're broadcasting their life, but they don't actually talk anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's why, okay, quit that. Mm-hmm. Never been on Instagram because I could foresee that I would get very addicted to cat pictures mm-hmm. or whatever. So no, <laughs> I'm not jumping in. And yeah, yeah. I'm a bit too old for tw- uh, for TikTok, or at least not, <laughs> not extrovert enough for, t- for TikTok. <laughs> so Twitter is the only one that remains. And sometimes it really feels like it's a screaming match of who has the most of the right to be angry today instead of yeah. everyone realizing that, okay, we're all angry against the same person. Shouldn't we like form an army and start a new revolution? But no, it's just people getting angry at each other instead. Yeah. So. yeah sometimes Internal. I find Twitter can be really helpful and I do actually use it for work a lot. Uh, but recently I have found that it is a bit more like that. It's just lots of kind of very depressing uh, news or hot takes that are increasingly vitriolic and angry and kind of people trying to outdo each other in how annoyed they are about whatever the current trend thing to be annoyed about is. Mm. And yeah, I do find that at the minute I'm, I'm feeling quite burnt out by it all. Um, maybe that's mm-hmm. just the general cop fatigue and all the, the kind mm. of uh climate news that's around at the moment is definitely everywhere you look so you know you you do your day job working in climate and then you're on social media everyone's talking about climate it's you turn on the radio you watch the tv and it's all everyone talking about climate i can't get away from it it's just really overwhelming and tiring so yeah sometimes it does feel like you need to switch everything off (laughs) well i don't really check social media out of working hours and but these last few weeks have become less good at it. But even normally during the weekend, I don't check it because, mm. yeah, it's just going to make me miserable. Sometimes, sometimes it makes me really happy. And honestly, there's a lot of people, especially since the beginning of the pandemic, that I've interacted with a lot on social media. And I realized that, okay, that's become my support network, honestly, these people. Mm-hmm. And even before the pandemic, my cat is right here. So I'm just paying attention to it's, yeah, yeah. it's lying down nicely. Okay. Uh-huh. Even before the pandemic, there were people that I met with first on Twitter and then met in real. And we even ended up working together on some projects. So it has this bizarre well, duality where it's the, you see the worst of it, but you also see, well, at sometimes you get the, the best of it there. Yeah. yeah. In balance, I think Twitter is amazing. And I, like you, I've also ended up working with people who I've met on Twitter. And I think most of the time it's really brilliant for that. Mm-hmm. Today, my whole Twitter experience has been going back and forth with a few of my colleagues 
on a super nerdy edge joint joke. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm i not nerdy enough to understand your jokes, honestly. <laughs> and that has brought a lot of joy into my soul today. I really needed that. <laughs> I mean, the moment when you talked about your egg and values, I thought, like, okay, yeah, that's... I'm not an joint model. That's me out. <laughs> I'm going to go for a walk instead. Yeah. <laughs> Engage with the natural world. That also works. That also works. Yeah. But yeah. Are your eigenvalues real valued or are they complex valued? <laughs> don't, don't, stop. Stop now. I'm sure. I refuse to determine my eigenvalues, you know. <laughs> eigenvalues are a social construct anyway. Oh, that's hilarious. I love that. That's fantastic. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Um, oh, I don't know if you want to go back to it, but like you talked um, about mental health. And all I can say mm-hmm. is because I come from a family where all mental health problems were repressed and where you were mm-hmm. basically told that, um, yeah, if you had any mental health problems, you were good to be sent to the asylum. That was the oh type gosh. of tolerance in my family, mm-hmm. even though pretty much everyone had massive mental health problems. Wow. And um, I clung to that mentality throughout my PhD and my grandfather died and I basically exploded and got panic attacks mm. out of the blue and was forced to admit that, okay, mental health is a serious thing. And right now I'm not doing well and it is in my head and it is okay. It's acceptable. Yeah. That doesn't change who I am. And, and especially, so there's going to be a lot of moments where I talk about people dying. Don't worry. I'm okay enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when my mother then got cancer, that's when I decided I'm not going to do the same mistake as when my grandfather died. I'm not going to internalize everything and I'm just going yeah. to be open directly. And I've remained open since because I discovered that, wow, it actually goes well when you tell other people how you're feeling. And yes. you surprisingly get support, even from some people that you never expected to give you support. So cool. Yeah, there's something about sharing a, a problem that really does reduce the impact of it. And I was thinking about this earlier today, and I, I kind of feel like, you know, when you share a problem and you have to explain it, um, in addition to just hopefully feeling that human connection, it also forces you to, you kind of go through a check, like some of whatever you say and whatever you write, you, know, you wouldn't say it or write it if you didn't believe it. So you there's a little bit of a layer there where you say everything you are about to say or write, you kind of mentally check it. Like, is that really true? Do I actually know that? Whereas if you just stay in your head, I've found for me anyway, it's way too easy to catastrophize, way too easy to just think of the worst case scenario and kind of latch onto it and feel like, oh gosh, everything's going to collapse. Whereas as soon as you start explaining it to someone that you trust or sharing it, you're going through and you're checking all those assumptions and you're asking like, ah, hold on, do I really know that? Is it really, you know, the end of this or the end of that? And I don't know, for me, that's such a helpful process. But so that was the, that was part of the shift for you was losing someone, losing your grandfather and then, then your mother getting, getting sick. And what was that adjustment like for you? What was the, what were some of the processes or what was that transition like for you kind of after you've accepted it, that, you know, mental health is um, important and it does deserve attention and it's just a, a real thing that we need to, to pay attention to and to handle with, with care with the appropriate level, level of care. I'm just kind of curious if you don't mind talking about it, kind of what... No, it's just that I never thought about it like in that sense. So I mm. uh, have to think a bit about... I'm not sure exactly, but I remember at least at the beginning when I was starting to experience these panic attacks and that I didn't know what it was. I think that was the scariest mm. part and that it took me months before realizing that, okay, I'm not having a heart attack. I'm, just, I'm having panic attacks. 
it mm. is in my head. Mm-hmm. And it is most likely because of the death of my grandfather. It yeah. is probably yeah. because I haven't actually given my sp- myself space and time to grieve properly. Mm-hmm. And it's more, it didn't magically solve, or of course, my panic attacks from well, from one day to the next. And even regularly, I have some that pop back up. But putting a name onto the problem is, yeah. is incredibly helpful, surprisingly. Even for the symptoms remain the same, but suddenly being able to say that, okay, that's what I have. Yeah. Ah. It's that self-awareness so that allows you to then kind of, it puts the cold light of day on it. And then from there, you kind of, if you can name something, it becomes less mysterious and less scary and less uncertain. And then means that you're able to take steps to to address it. Because if mm. you don't know what it is, then you can end up hi- running away and hiding from something or being scared the whole time, mm-hmm. which obviously with mental health isn't, it's a great thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, t- just to relate to what you said, and and I also I want to share something o- along those lines too, because I don't want you to feel like you're you're alone in sharing that. Uh, I had a panic attack last week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just very. So I'm I'm going through a period of upheaval and uncertainty right now. Um, it's too early to say for sure, like what's going to happen and how everything's going to turn out. But yeah, it's and it's I'm not quite at the level where I've processed it all enough to to talk about it on on the podcast I, I will at some point um but i can say that like yeah last week i had a panic attack and it was because it's it's kind of exactly what you're talking about i can trace it to that day i was trying to without really realizing it i was trying to repress it or i was trying to like not look at the problem or not look at the the kind of underlying thing that's causing me a lot of anxiety and causing me a lot of um and and, and fear as well it's scary and uh I'm not saying this always causes panic attacks that there can be many reasons for having one. Right. But at least my experience last week was spending the whole day, um, just kind of ignoring the problem or trying to distract myself. It meant that those feelings came out sideways, that those feelings came out in a moment of extra stress. Um, and I had a panic attack, really shallow breathing, um, kind of hyperventilated, uh, I felt like there was an electric current running through my hands. There was that pulsating, you know, kind of electric current kind of feeling. But it did help. I sort of, it did help to realize, oh yeah, this is a this is a panic attack, isn't it? Like this is, and just knowing that's what it was, putting a label on it, it, it also meant that I knew, okay, this is going to end at some point. Like this is a, I just need to ride this out and let it take its course mm-hmm. and let let my body do whatever it needs to do. Um. And, and, you know, eventually I felt better and felt calmer and things returned to normal. And, and since then I've like let myself uh, cry more when I've needed to, like when it's come out, I just let myself lose it for a bit. And that, and talking about it with people, it seems to be making a huge difference in my resilience and my ability to like, okay, I can, I can do this. I can figure this out. I can handle this, Mm. Um, which I don't think I would have arrived at this place of relative resiliency if I just kept trying to ignore it and squash it down. Have you both found that there's space within um, kind of academic settings to talk about that? Or is it more something that you've been able to talk about with friends than colleagues? I guess there's some trusted colleagues. Um, so, sorry, Celine, do you want to, do you want to take no, that? No, go for it first. Yeah, I guess there are some trusted colleagues that have, yeah, there are trusted colleagues I've opened up to. And I don't mind mentioning little bits here and there on Twitter and on the podcast now, you know, I don't mind that. That's fine. I guess 
I don't, I can't think of a formal structure that I'm, that I'm part of or aware of. I think it's just more about finding those trusted people. Mm. What do you think, Celine? Yeah, it was the same that I was thinking. And I've even opened up to strangers. Like I remember what you said about talking, well, talking about it. So I remember like on the flight back after, well, after burying my mother, of course, I was having a, I don't know, there was something about the door closing that I refused. Oh, and I, yeah. of course, like the imagery is so fucking obvious that's yeah, oh, yeah, closing everything. And I I really felt everything building up and that I just wanted to grab my stuff and leave, like run out. And instead I turned towards the person that was sitting next to me that I did not know at all. said, I'm very sorry to interrupt you. My mother just died. I'm having a panic attack. Would you mind talking to me to distract me? And that person just talked to me during the, well, made me talk even, that's even better, during the entire oh. flight. Amazing. Oh, that's good of so, them. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, no, that could also have turned into a... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, luckily yeah, you really were sat, sat next to <laughs> someone good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's not the only time it's happened. Like, I've done that a few times, even like once on, on the way back for a conference. It was not a total stranger either, but it was not necessarily someone I had interacted with a lot. And likewise, turning towards the person and saying, uh, so don't worry right now if I'm being a bit weird, but I'm having a panic attack. Please continue talking to me like you did before. Don't worry about me. Whatever sound I make, mm. whatever face I make, don't take it personally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's likewise. really important to ask for help, though, isn't it, in those situations? And it can be difficult. Yeah, it's not easy to. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just thinking that you... story is not the sort of thing, you know, getting back to our... The, we don't have to go back to the other topic, but to connect to the other topic. That's the sort of thing you won't see on social media or the news reported necessarily is like a random stranger helps another stranger <laughs> get through a panic attack. You wouldn't believe what happens next. <laughs> <laughs> they were fine and had a great interaction and it was really helpful. <laughs> Everything <laughs> went well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's amazing. And that just speaks to the, the power of like, I mean, we, we are like social creatures, like we're wired for that stuff. And we we need each other, honestly. We need that support from each other and that kind of mutual interdependence and mutual responsibility. Like we just, we need that stuff. And that's the, the sort of thing that, you know, for a long time now, um, just kind of, I feel like hasn't been, been valued enough, has kind of been devalued and has mm-hmm. kind of been squished. And, um, you know, the, the, the values are instead about, um, you know, winning and exploiting stuff and getting and imposing your will on the world and, and being a know, strong independent woman it, because you don't need no one you can self stuffing all that down yeah but yeah we we need that that we need to help each other like that oh my gosh i know and for me like the chances when i've had to help other people that feels really good too like it's rewarding for it's rewarding and helpful for both parties like you know if you can help somebody that that feels nice mm. oh man I'm sure there's a lot more we could talk about on oh. that. Um, I bet we and, could spend the entire podcast talking just about that. But yeah, maybe you want to talk about... <laughs> can't remember what else you, you asked earlier. I, I mean, you had one sentence that included three different questions in it, and I can't... Oh, oh yeah, sharing right. about um, like academia, how not everything is wonderful. And, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Do you want what to you're up to as well? Or... Oh, yeah, true. What, yeah. Am I what you're interested in, what cool projects you're... you're excited yeah. by one of my favorite color and uh, <laughs> <laughs> anything you want to share with us really <laughs> 
I was just going to say, yeah, I don't have a, uh, I don't have like a rigid agenda or anything. It, the podcast goes wherever it goes and we mm. just have a chat and this has been awesome so far. Like this is really, I'm sure it will continue to be awesome. Okay. Um, this is, this is exactly the kind of just like, it's very person focused like this, this show. We just want to talk to people really. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, I interrupted you. You were saying at the moment, what are you, you were doing? Oh something. yeah. So at the yeah. moment I'm discovering uh, life as a new PI and realizing that that is absolutely not what I thought I would sign up for. And that's right. it. So too much paperwork. Uh, <laughs> yeah. to, I mean, I'm, I'm a professional researcher who, and as a result, I don't do any research. Like I was, I was yeah. great at writing papers. And so mm. as a result, now I am in charge of budgets and people <laughs> and everything is bizarre. And and last week, I spent the entire week just editing somewhat, well, commenting on one of my postdocs papers. That was the entire mm-hmm. week and meetings. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so this week I decided, no, I'm not doing that again. And I spent my week playing with data instead, but way too many of my weeks are spent not doing any research. Mm-hmm. And when I do have time for research, I first have to spend at least half a day going back into it and realizing, okay, what was I up to? No matter how detailed the notes I take, and I've become much better at taking notes as a result because I have to. Mm-hmm. But it is, yeah, I think yes. if I had that someone to tell me, you know, that life as a professional researcher is, well, researcher not in a research institute because maybe there they do more research, but. Actually, maybe at, at best, do you do research or do you also spend a lot of time in meetings and supervision? Well, I was going to just relate really hard to what you, you said, because I'm basically a new PI as well, as of a, a year ago, officially. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> Actually, you got this um, Is it... future leader thing. Yeah, this fellowship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like the, the congratulations is interesting right because it's exactly what you're talking about yeah like, well this is this is an honor Ooh, this is this is like and but... then you go like oh my gosh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what have i gotten myself into you got job stability but, it... but you sold it against well. it's the great irony of becoming uh, what more advanced in any fields you know you start being a doctor because you want to help people as you go up the ranks you end up doing less and less direct time with patients and more and more admin same with mm-hmm. research I guess, and it's just, yeah, one of the, the 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 downsides of climbing the ladder in a way. Yeah, I mean, I I gotta admit, I do like working with people, and I'm working with some really good people right now, so I am enjoying that. But I definitely feel what you're talking about, of um, ah, I don't have nearly enough time to to play with my own data and my own models. Like, I'm behind on some technical stuff I want to do, and it's because. I'm involved with too many other different people and doing too many different things. Mm. That stuff is rewarding. Like I, I like being collaborative and I like doing science with other people. So I don't really mind that collaborative part, but it's a time budget problem, isn't it? It's just like, where is all the, where do all the hours go? You stop having to worry about the money and you generally worry about time as in like mm. the number of hours that you physically have to do the things. Yes. Yes. It's so quite strange. Like for the past couple of weeks, I'm normally really good about, I keep these blocks on my calendar, these like focus time blocks and they're, they're in the mornings, most mornings, um, Tuesday through Friday typically. And then I try to have them in the afternoons as well. And in principle, in in theory, I don't schedule meetings during those times. Um, and I try to do my, my research, but you know, things still come up and like the past couple of weeks, there's been a 
a proposal we're finishing a, a large grant proposal and stuff's got to get done for that <laughs> stuff's got to happen and i've only got so many hours in the day and honestly like i don't think it's good to work super late and to i do some weekend work just because my life is crazy and that's just sometimes when when that makes sense like when i can do stuff but yeah since i'm a, a parent also i i mean there's lots of other constraints on my time too so i have to balance all of that and it it, it doesn't work <laughs> It doesn't work. Stuff just doesn't happen. Um, and so I, I really feel you on this problem of like, when am I going to do my stuff? Mm. I've become um, a bit better now at time management. Well, that's one of the things I I launched a cry for help months ago on mm. on the social media. And then I had mm -hmm. a lot of super experienced professor chime in and give me their advice. And some of it, I said, thank you. And I could think that, yeah, but no, I don't want to become that type of person. But some of our stuff... I did realize that, yeah, that's mm. a smart move. I should have done what, this. What works good for you? What What's what's some of the good advice? Well, putting myself first, well, uh, first of all. I, I mean, I was also struggling with teaching at that time but, mm -hmm. because I do, I mean, I care about teaching. Yeah. I yeah. care about the quality of my teaching. And I, I have had to admit that no matter how much effort you put in, the students will always want more mm. and that you can't. And it's the same also for whenever you're supervising someone. Like it's, I don't know, I can't come up with a good metaphor because all I'm thinking of is a parasite. And that's absolutely <laughs> not what I mean about these people. But, you know, this feeling that no matter, they will suck all the energy out of you if they can. Because mm. everyone puts themselves first, of course. And everyone mm. will want mm. their needs to be met before yours. And it took me a long time actually to realize that that. Not everyone is doing everything in my own best interest. Right, right. They don't know what your needs are. They're not aware of that. Oh, <laughs> and, uh, some people, yeah. even if they do, you know, the, their needs come first, of course. It can be very transactional, mm. I guess, yeah. when you're, if you're a student in that kind of relationship, you'd all, especially if you're at the very beginning of your career, you don't think about mm. uh, your, super, your supervisors and super lecturers as almost as people who have similar sort of pressures on them. You just kind of, oh, well, this person is here to, you know, give me knowledge and supervision. So mm. I'm going to get all I can. They're paid for it. Come on. Yeah. It's their job. <laughs> and then I try to explain to that, well, that to them that, no, I'm paid. I'm paid for being here in the classroom, but all this other stuff around, I'm not paid for it. And it's actually my research money and time that goes into it. And mm -hmm. all like that here I got on, the, on all the course evaluations that you need to pay the teachers more. And <laughs> <laughs> Well, I yes, but for one day to the head of department, you know, just saying. But, no, <laughs> but that was helpful uh, suggestions here. Mm, yeah. yeah, very good suggestion. <laughs> but no, so setting boundaries for yourself. Yeah, setting like. boundaries and just accepting that you know it's not going to be perfect, and so be it. the The world mm -hmm. is not going to stop turning, and that at some point you need to to build a fence or yeah, setting your own boundaries yeah. because otherwise. I mean, no one is going to benefit if I collapse and, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and no one is ever going to be a hundred percent happy. So, okay. Yeah. Just Stop do trying your best to be perfect. and that's all you can do. Because hmm. perfection is an unattainable goal. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So does that involve just having specific office hours and saying things like, well, I can't have an extra meeting with you, you know, come meet with me during my office hours. And oh, no, we don't have office hours here. Don't do that. Luckily. Okay. okay. Oof, don't yeah. suggest that. Now that depends uh, <laughs> what we're talking about, but like for, um, like for the students, for example, just telling them, 
this is as much material as you're going to get. And these are, well, I guess it's about the equivalent to uh, the office hours or like contact me via that channel, hmm. that medium, and don't expect a reply within that time period. And if you have any yes. question, it will be either on this like question session or that question session. Yes. And not even apologizing for like whenever they're asking for more stuff, because I already give way more than some other teachers because mm. I've actually bothered, for example, recording all of my lectures, like turning all of my lectures into like short videos, complete mm -hmm. with subtitles and everything. And nice. wow. And honestly, yeah, if they're not happy, I'm not going to also give a live session and I'm not, mm. no, there's the limit. And same with the student, the people I supervise, <laughs> they would all want me to basically be supervising them at 100% of my time. Mm. So uh, having meetings every two weeks. And one thing also that I've become much better is at not abling others in, um, in using my time. Mm. As in, there's one person in particular that is very good at always canceling meetings at the last minute because they double book or they suddenly have something more important by the way great phrasing to tell someone that something else is more important oh my like, God, they definitely feel valued yeah oh, uh, they did say to one of their students that uh, they were cutting down on non-essential tasks or something like this and, <laughs> and basically they were not supervising them anymore oh for that time and, and so now whenever that person yeah just some great people around me. So <laughs> <laughs> now whenever that person does the usual of last minute canceling and saying, oh, no, actually, I can't today. Can we move it to, I don't know, Wednesday or whatever? My reply is always, no. See you at the mm -hmm. next scheduled meeting then. Yeah, yeah. And part of me feels sorry for the students that we are supervising together mm -hmm. because it's not their fault. Often mm -hmm. at the same time, if that student also stood up and, like me, said no, it's we agreed on that time you are supervising me on that time hmm. but instead what happens that that student then yeah that student and i joke about that other person but <laughs> so it's just a series of small details yeah. like that and also yeah. stopping to explain why i can't and just directly saying to people no i can't join mm. end mm -hmm. of the conversation and if people <laughs> insist then insisting in my reply of no i can't and i won't Mm -hmm. saying no is such a skill something i'm really bad at <laughs> but recently i've had to get better at and it's mm -hmm. yeah it's, it's an acquired skill isn't it it is yeah mm. it came out of pure tiredness for me honestly like of having had enough of others and i was either mm. a polite no or well once actually i had i said no twice to someone and they came back a third time like bringing someone higher up in the hierarchy to, <gasps> to ask again and then what? they were served the full-on explanation Whoa. complete with uh yeah I, I guess i'm blacklisted now luckily <laughs> <laughs> wow. but way, oh, it felt good it, to write that thing <laughs> i bet so <laughs> Oh my gosh. Outrageous behavior. That oh. is outrageous. Take no for an answer. Yeah. <laughs> and the country that, ha that is trying to pass a law around consent and like you tell, you said no very clearly twice and then you have a third, well, they come back again because they can't take no for an answer. Like, wow. Oh, yeah. That's horrible. Yeah. I'm sorry that you went through that. That sounds really bad. Oh my God. It's also quite um, fun sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of saying, saying no, um, I've gotten more open about 
um, at least with trusted colleagues, if I'm just like not doing okay, if I'm having a mental health day that just is not working, um, I've become more open about saying, no, I'm, I'm really sorry. Like right now I'm just having, you know, some mental health challenges. I can't do this right now. I've gotten better at kind of being open, open about that. And I don't know. It, I think it's good. I think it's, it certainly feels better than just kind of trying to hide that or trying to like, don't look over here. Uh, just yeah, it takes more mental energy to do that ultimately. And then it's mm -hmm. more mental health pressure, which is just going to pile it on, layer it on thick. Mm -hmm. And that's going to ultimately make it take longer to get through it. Yeah, for sure. And actually uh, another thing that came up for me there is when you were describing that, which has just left my brain. I was just getting ready to say it and it flew away like a little bird. I don't know where it went. Um, let's see, we're talking about mental health and saying no to stuff. Anyway, can we talk about your kind of pathway a little bit? Like how you ended up, where you ended up and kind of where you grew up and yeah. all that lovely stuff? Yeah. Yeah, I so had you... to talk with that to a student recently and it was not the first time I thought about it and realized how messed up, honestly, my, my background oh. is and that it's quite funny. Like, Continuing talking about the little bird, honestly, is the typical bird that bounces against every single window until eventually it's like, oh, door. Everything's <laughs> <laughs> fine. <laughs> oh, fly. Uh, so I, um, I grew up in Normandy, so north of France, northwest. So really by the sea, as in mm -hmm. generally walking from where I was living to the sea was not even five minutes. Nice. So nice proper sea with massive waves and with big tidal range so yeah on in hindsight i'm thinking oh maybe that's why i became an oceanographer but it was absolutely <laughs> not planned then no yeah you're right next to all that physical just the power just the kind of raw mm. power and the beauty of it yeah oh yeah then the hours i spent just sitting there and even like as an adult when i had to go because you know family gatherings you there's this mm. pressure to go and spend time there so i would just sit on the beach and listen to the waves mm. crash and the seagulls that were above going, ah, ah. yeah, so I many, yeah. I'm I love the sound of seagulls. As a, I mean, yeah. I grew up with seagulls, and so I'm, I really like them. Oh, I do too. I love that sound. No, oh, lots of people hate them, but really, yeah, I didn't know that. Chip stealers, uh, chip stealers, well, <laughs> and I bomb you as well if you come too close to the net. They're really aggressive. Yeah, if you leave them be, maybe it's uh, a. <laughs> I think I have a chip or two. I'll share a chip or two. I don't yeah. mind. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but then you have the entire flock coming in that case I, I don't it's i really don't know how they work like how they communicate with each other because you always have that thing that you have one seagull notices food give yeah. it five minutes and you have 50 or 100 suddenly there yeah. how do they do that <laughs> maybe that's what some of the sounds mean some of the uh -huh. the, the calls maybe it's like there's chips on the ground over here <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Apparently prairie dogs can say quite a lot with little chirps. So I don't know if it's, mm -hmm. if seagulls have similar, I have no idea what I'm talking about. I don't know if they have a way to communicate that way, but yeah. I don't know. I'm a so physicist and not, not a biologist. Yeah. So you're growing up by the sea yes. going like, look at that turbulent energy cascade. <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, not quite. That's more like, hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. And um, it was also a place that was regularly flooded because we do, of mm. course, we have spring tides. And if the spring tides correspond, well, so we have a massive tidal range. So if mm -hmm. the spring tides or the high of the spring tides corresponded with a moment where a storm was passing by, which to be fair was quite oh, common yeah. because, I mean, 
basically West Atlantic coast, mm. we do have quite a few storms. Mm-hmm. Then well, everyone, all the shops basically knew the drill. They would all put like these things to protect the entrance and potentially have some sand everywhere. So, Whoa. yeah, the legend has it that I even nearly died in a flood as a as a baby. But uh, I think that's either that's a made up story or my mother was incredibly stupid. So I. <laughs> I would never know, and it's probably better that I don't know. <laughs> so maybe go with the more charitable interpretation. <laughs> you live to tell the tale, at any rate. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, because well, it's either that or she was walking with me while the city was flooded and basically dropped through one of these. I don't know. I don't like the term manhole, but I don't know the other. You know, this holes. Yeah, this yeah. Cover stuff. So wait, you were dropped through. Wait. No, we both like she was holding me, and, uh, and we. Uh... The legend has it that that happened. And yes, I have so many questions around it, but <laughs> that I will never know. And also, well, like, uh, what were we doing outside while the city was flooded? In that case? Well, we have a surprise guest we're going to bring on. It's your mom. She's here to talk about this. Uh, well, she's dead, so... I'm so I, sorry. <laughs> oh, no. if, if you can, <laughs> it's okay. Don't worry. Oh, don't, no, seriously, don't feel bad because I'm... Uh, okay. I was ready to continue with the joke of what you you have a Ouija board or something to manage to bring her or summon her from. <laughs> oh my god! So, you know, I'll admit I missed that. You you mentioned that she had cancer. I heard that part. I think I had missed the. I didn't know if I didn't I say I missed the part where she had passed away. You did say she she had cancer. Yeah, you no, did, she uh, she died within. Um, that was actually a very bizarre moment, so like completely jumping yeah. onto a different time. But uh, that was one time where my me being open about mental health actually worked against me because she she retired, and a few months later she had really dramatic panic attacks and mm. depression and so on. And I immediately thought, well, yeah, you just retired, you're struggling to adjust, no big deal. Go to a therapist, talk with them, blah blah blah. A few more months later, oh no, it's because she had cancer. And the oncologist mm. says, that, oh, I probably, like, you know, this big panic attacks and a sudden drop in your mental health and so on. That was probably your body alerting you that the cancer was starting to be quite nasty. Oh, wow. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> and, but, yeah. So that was yeah. quite, a, quite an aggressive one. And within a few months, it was clear that uh, that was... Well, that she was going to die, but there were still a few more months of that was the worst, I think. These moments where you're aware that there's nothing to be done, but the person is not dead yet. Yeah, yeah. And that's huge. It was at the same time that I was writing basically the last chance big grant and applying for mm. tenure track positions and planning a big expedition and blah, blah, blah. And it was just piling up and, yeah. and she died. Oh, man. That's so much. No, I'm sorry you went through that. That's a lot. That's yeah, a lot but, to go through. So my grandmother period. died. But no, sorry, my father died. My yeah. grandmother died. My grandfather died, and my mother died. So, oh my gosh, that's, that's, oh, that's, nice. that's a bad time. Yeah, that's a I, lot of things all at once. So it was the the twenty year anniversary of my grandmother's death not that long ago, and it's mm. also somewhat coincides with the, the anniversary of my mother ringing and saying, "Oh, well, it's cancer." And so I was just reflecting on how I've spent pretty much half of my life grieving yeah. for either a relative or so I'm an only child and an only grandchild and so animals have always been extremely important to me and so yes mm. when my dog died I grieved for many years and when my cat died I grieved for even longer because I felt guilty about his death it was just a, a coincidence that he died at some point where I was not there but still it took me years to accept that 
that depth. So, so yeah, I, um, uh, I could do with a break. And I was, um, I was thinking about it in the context of climate grief that mm. I have to accept that the places that I used to love don't exist anymore. Because even right. if I went back physically to these places, the climate is very different now. And the climate's different, and like the geography is different. You know, sea level rise is cha yeah. changing the geography a bit over time, and the know? overall experience would be different. And that's, yeah. yeah, yeah. But by by the way, I wanted to share that I'm I'm feeling the hot flush of embarrassment for making such a a, a bad taste comment. I'm just feeling that like, oh my god, don't. <laughs> Well, I wanted to be open about it and be like, that's, that's what, you know, that's what's going through. Yes. And um, so, yeah, no, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, don't worry. And I understand yeah. that if I were, the, if our roles were reversed and that I had been the one making that comment, I was like dying of embarrassment now. I'm thinking, oh no, oh no, oh no, we need to, <laughs> okay, let's cut, let's edit, let's pretend that nothing happens. And next time I see you in real, I will apologize profusely again, but, <laughs> but don't worry. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not doing the English way right now. I'm seriously saying, don't worry. I can understand why you said that joke. <laughs> yeah, I actually yeah. smiled, but. <laughs> <laughs> That's very kind of you. That's super kind of you. Thank you for taking care of me in that moment. I appreciate that. No and I wanted to check in with you. So are you all right? You doing okay? Oh yeah, I'm okay. Is this I mean, why, it's right? been a bizarre last few years, honestly, because I, uh, well, I mean, one thing that I've had to accept, like I'm going to be super open. I think it's different. Mm -hmm. Well, now I've said that to a few people in private, but yeah, broadcasting to the world, why not? I am, um, well, without giving the full story, let's just say that my mother was not the easiest person to grow up with. And hmm. she was, well, okay, let's put it in words. She was abusive, but I didn't hmm. really perceive it this way until I was finally an adult processing my feelings right. after she had died. And the worst part was more that I had, like, I didn't grieve that much for her. I realized that I grieved for myself and that I was suddenly... Like, I didn't have anyone left. Like, first, there was this concept of, but no one is here to guide me anymore. What am I supposed to do with my life? I don't know what to do. I'm not mm. ready to be on my own. Yeah, yeah. And then processing that further into, and anyway, I spent most of my life trying to please her and mm. impress her. And that always failed. So I always went for, I mean, that's how I bounce pretty much all the time, trying to go for the most extreme and most impressive thing so that finally I would get some recognition. And she's gone now, so I don't have to do that anymore. Oh, hmm. what am I going hmm. to do then? And who am I even? Like, what do I, like, do I really like this thing? Or did I say I did because I wanted to impress her? Oh, wow. And that was one hell of a crisis. That's, uh, I... Reevaluating everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's uh, huge. And I had the therapist. I mean, I tried to do that on my, on my own until I realized that, no, it's just getting worse now. Apparently, mm -hmm. I need some help. And uh, she did tell me that, no, but it's quite normal to, it's basically your second teenage crisis when you lose your parents and that you have to, yeah, really find out yourself. But uh, right. I was uh, not prepared for it. Yeah. You, do you find that you're doing things that you enjoy and really care about more now? I'm not sure because it also coincides with me having somewhat job security. I mean, mm. okay. senior track in Sweden is, well, you still have to impress people, but at least you have the promise of the job. It's not like you have to compete against an army of other tenure track people. Right, right. And I did then go back to some of my hobbies, but I did have moments where I was wondering, well, yeah, I went back to some research topics and I realized, well, 
for a moment put them aside thinking that I was just doing that to impress her. And now realizing that, no, actually, I miss doing that. No, okay, so I really like that. So. <laughs> it's, wow. a good, it's a good check to yeah. make sure that the research you're doing is things you actually care about. Yeah, I'm not sure. Well, I'm pretty sure I could have gone throughout my life without having to undergo that check. But, you know, I, yeah. it's quite good to be on the other side now and realize that, oh, actually, I do miss So that. what are those things that you're working on that you, you know you like and you did miss? Well, the thing that I really missed is going at sea. So that thing, I really thought mm. that now I'm doing that only to impress people, but actually, no, it's pointless and it's such a waste of resources and it's such environmental draining and blah, blah, blah. And and now, first, I've accepted that anyway, we need in-situ data for absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. So there is a reason to do it. And that's honestly, yeah, I miss the feeling of being at sea. So, And you're mm. involved in Mosaic as well, aren't you? Yeah, but I did not go for... You didn't go. Well, for that, the official reason was that there was a scheduling conflict and it was partly true. But the other reason was that first, I still felt mentally unstable and didn't want to be for four months on the ship yeah. in the middle of nowhere very in charge of people while mentally unstable. Yeah. And also because I was... So when my grandfather died, I was suddenly terrified of flying. And when my mother mm. died... I was suddenly terrified of the prospect of being on a tiny boat above four kilometers of water. Hmm. And likewise, now I'm getting better at it. Like I'm, I take the ferry often enough that I'm like, yeah, I'm on top of water. I'm cool with that. But it's, it was really that dread. Like I had the thing that just thinking about it, I was, I felt absorbed by, you know, this four kilometers. You get that giant squid huh. arm that's just coming to just drag you yeah. and. Right. And all I was thinking was that I would probably manage, but I was really not looking forward to it. I was looking forward to being done with it. Hmm. And hmm. my PhD student's expedition was postponed. So that's when I realized that, well, he was not doing well at all because of the pandemic. Yes. And his expedition that I was really looking forward to was postponed. Meanwhile, my expedition is still there, but um, yeah, I could join. But I'd rather not to. So it was just like the best solution for everyone was to send him there. And, and mm. I regret it because I regret not having been there. But I don't regret sending him because he, well, he really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. and it's so important yeah. to get that uh, experience in the yeah. field when you're a, a young researcher kind of cutting your teeth. I've, when I went to Antarctica during my PhD, it was honestly like such an eye-opening experience and really contextualized all the research and almost makes it so much more relevant and worthwhile and you know especially being a modeler mm. actually going and seeing the real world and seeing how things match up it's just so invaluable so uh, I think that's it's very uh, the mark of a good mentor as well to be able to recognize that that student really needed that mm. yeah I also yeah. had that realization that I've been there several times even as a PI so I don't mm. I mean, it's not really going to enhance my CV, which, well, without being cynical, is after all what's, what you're after when you're still at like the beginning of being a PI or even before getting a permanent position. And was for him, that was definitely, yeah, there on the super big expedition that's going to open so many doors for him. So, mm. yes, of course, go, go, <laughs> bring me data. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
And it's a huge experience mm-hmm. too, just getting to to see that part of the, the world and have that seagoing experience. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. But I was, I mean, yeah. the part that I retained for is to be in charge of the physical ocean, the overall physical oceanography program of Mosaic. Well, co-in charge because for each each program has two people. And so first, I still can't believe that someone put me in charge, but yeah, <laughs> that's, that's about okay. That was really bizarre, actually, because I was there were two people in charge from the beginning of the planning, but the second person was really not involved enough and then turned out that they were not going to join because they didn't get their funding. And meanwhile, there was me, who, like, <laughs> happy, bubbly postdoc going around to every single meeting, showing my face and saying, hello, I'd like to join. Hello, hello. And, <laughs> and just because I was, uh, okay, some people knew me anyway from a past expedition, but overall, just by being there and pestering people was apparently enough to say, you know what, what do we have to lose? So, hey, you want to join and be in charge? Well, it's amazing. It's just the perseverance that's yeah. required. Yeah, perseverance yeah. And, and nice the right people. opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The right opportunity comes along at the I'm right, right yes. time. Yeah, the yes. right moment. <laughs> that, that was the moment to not say no. You know? <laughs> yeah, saying yes to the right things. Oh. But that's that's what bit saying no to the right things helps you do, though, is this, yeah. isn't it? You yeah. say no to things that are draining on your time and energy, and that gives you the space to say yes to those really fantastic opportunities mm. that you actually do want to dedicate oh. your time and energy to. Mm-hmm. You know about saying no, I realized that one thing I do more also now is that I take time before deciding. Like before, immediately, as soon as I receive something, I would make up my mind for yes or no. Most of the time it would be yes, because my inner puppy would get really excited about anything mm-hmm. that is presented. Um, I love that phrase, yeah. <laughs> my inner puppy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, he's, well, he or she, actually, I'm not quite sure what my puppy, my, my gender neutral inner puppy <laughs> is. Uh, <laughs> might, might be a day. Might be a, yeah, you know, a day, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, well, yeah, they get super excited for no reason. Whereas instead, I close everything. Usually I even go for a walk or depending on the, well, maybe sometimes I even make a point of taking 24 hours if it's going to be a big decision. Mm-hmm. And I trust my gut so much more as well. Like the number of times that I've had, like I had some bad feeling that I couldn't exactly put my finger on, but something didn't sound quite right about mm-hmm. how it was advertised or like, do you know this so good to be true or how come you are asking me and stuff like that. And usually if mm-hmm. I, even if one of these things comes up, well, I try to, figure out what is it like and usually it's like more information that i need and so far every single time i've been thinking something isn't quite right so let's dig a bit and ask people then that's when it reveals itself as oh okay that's what i suspected (laughs) or simply if i realize that i'm going to do that out of politeness but really Mm. i don't want to yes then i say no and, that's uh, a that's a great bit of advice. Yeah, trusting your gut mm-hmm. in those moments, which is strange and, to say as a scientist. Like you shouldn't have to. Well, trusting your gut sounds. Um, um, yeah. Well, but there's no. Yeah, but your gut can. There's a lot of instinct there, and a lot of there are some kind of logical processes going on. They're just like we've kind of trained our our neural networks right over the years to get a sense of what is a good opportunity and what's not a good opportunity. Your brain is constantly integrating all that stuff. Mm. 
about so what, many what, hidden layers in my brain <laughs> yeah right <laughs> same <laughs> I, w- I would like to think <laughs> that I have a lot no but i do think that as well that it's not it's not some sort of new age strange vibe it's just that generally my brain is much better at processing than i than at let's say communicating how it's processing and yes my brain is telling me no but not revealing why but it's telling mm. me no so okay brain acknowledged <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and thanks for thanks, Brian, for taking care of me <laughs> in this moment. I appreciate it. Yeah, ten so, out of ten. So your mom didn't drop you into the storm drain. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> well, and if she dropped happened? me, we were <laughs> no, because the, the disaster story also involves a firefighter, which um, which are the people that rescue others during floods in France. So huh. maybe she did drop me, and uh, that's a random stranger whose job it was to rescue me rescued me, but. Uh, Oh. Yeah, we will never know. So carry on. <laughs> no. When did you kind of start? Um... Oh, true. Sorry, we we're still stuck yeah. on the. So yes, I grew up in Normandy, and uh, <laughs> then because I was far from being in good terms with uh, my mother, I escaped mm. as soon as I could, which was at the ripe mm. age mm. of eighteen. Mm. And the best way to escape while preserving family dynamics, while avoiding drama, was by going to Paris because that's where the most prestigious prestigious schools were and um, Hmm. you're probably not familiar with the French system so you you get two tracks if you want to study science oh by the way I didn't want to study science I wanted to study literature and languages but I was forced Hmm. to go for science so Hmm. anyway (laughs) by my math teacher who like tapped me at the back of my head and said what are you what are you doing of course you're going for science it needs women She was a great teacher, but yeah, she had she had her, had her own ideas. <laughs> yeah, huh. no, it was very much a lot of what I did was always with the fact that if you go one way, it doesn't close the other one. Whereas if you go for that other one, then you you're kicked out of that one. Like in hmm. France, you can study science. At least that's how it was advertised to me. You can go for science, and if you change your mind, you can go to literature, but you can't hmm. go the other way around. Right. So it was some sort of, okay, it's not too much of a commitment. Let's go for it. But if you do science, then you have to choose between the engineering track or the university track. And once again, the engineering one is way more prestigious. That means if you go for engineering, you can always at any time go for university. If you start a university, you can't go for engineering. So, and the way engineering goes is that you spend two years in super intensive math, physics, but also still languages and literature and whatever courses. Mm, I mean, yeah. the, the whole point is to prepare you for a super competitive exam that happens after two years mm. and that everyone in France takes at the exact same time, the exact same exam. And then each school selects only the people that perform the best at that exam. Like, for example, the top 200 or whatever are invited for an interview and the interview is not just an interview. It's a series of oral exams also on every single topic. It lasts oh, an entire week per school. Brutal. It is, yeah. That's a, yeah, I, I would really struggle to go through that again now. I would really be oh like, what? Sounds <laughs> and, like um, a nightmare. Yeah, it's a nightmare. And uh, you, as the students, you rank also the schools. So the schools rank the candidates, but you also rank the schools. So mm. say which one you prefer and my preferred wanted me so that's how i ended up moving to Nantes, which is about halfway up in france very much on the atlantic coast Hmm. where they had an engineering school with a way to specialize in fluid dynamics which uh, was a topic i 
discovered during these two years of madness. And I don't know why. It was like love at first sight with that topic. Like, oh, that's so cool. And even for the beginning, I thought, like, oh, I'm going to put that into astrophysics and to uh, like to study the strange pulsars type stars. But um, oh, yeah. But once again, like, yeah, I could go for that astrophysics option or I could insist with engineering school. Hey, guess which one is most prestigious and does not close the other one's door. All right, let's go to engineering school. <laughs> right. So I went to engineering school and absolutely hated it. So let's not spend too much time talking about that. And uh, you, got, you got through it. Yeah, <laughs> you got through it. Got through it. Got my degree. Got Managed to fail fluid dynamics and fail statistics. And I find that hilarious considering that's the, the two topics that are still <laughs> important for me nowadays. That might be really good for um, young people to hear, actually. Uh, yeah, you know, I tell like... the students that when um, whenever they fail, well, when an exam is approaching or whatever, I tell them what. Well, by the way, that's not the end of the world if you fail it. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I failed algebra too in high school. It's um, just m more for life reasons than for anything. Just I just disconnected from it. I was just like, I, no, I'm not doing this. Um, and I ended up making it up in summer school. But yeah, I think it's good to share that because it it uh, can give people a sense of like, don't worry. It's like just like you said, it's not the end of the world if you fail a subject. You know, it, it doesn't close off doors in the way that you think it might necessarily you know mm. yeah yeah although it means is that we're not good at taking that very specific type of exam and doing that very specific project work it doesn't yes. mean that you suck at that topic it just means that yeah these assignments were not for you exactly yeah the way you were assessed yeah and that's very much how i felt about most of my education that i i was very much trained in passing exams mm -hmm. and definitely is how I feel now when I'm teaching that I don't like exams because I know how it is to just be good at passing exams. And I, most of the courses, when I have the choice, I don't have any exam and instead I make the students do a project. And yeah, uh, yeah. so that they have more time to really think about it and like get some guidance throughout and work together and ultimately do even a presentation to get used to, well, more of the real life experience rather than just hey yeah sit for my it's lectures applying the knowledge isn't it and not having that space to just regurgitate information mm -hmm. it's yeah. taking what you've learned thinking a bit outside the box and applying it to a different problem that's yeah. much more sophisticated learning and much more useful for your yeah. the rest of your life absolutely the exams don't look like anything else that we do they just they look like nothing else in our professional lives right like mm -hmm. I, i'm never i'm never ever in a situation where like you know, quick Remember one. 17 references that are <laughs> yeah. relevant to this specific yeah. topic yeah. that you <laughs> learned in a week. <laughs> like, mm. Quick, find the eigenvalues of this matrix. Like, <laughs> yes. If you can't do this in five minutes, we're going to lose a big client. <laughs> <laughs> you joke, but actually, <laughs> once on a boat for, for whichever instrument, I've forgotten which one, we had to calculate the, the second order roots of something by hand. Really? Yes, and Wait, it was. What kind of what kind of crappy instrument is this that you have to do algebra to get it but, to work? <laughs> but it, because it was not my instrument, but I just remember suddenly, like someone, someone on, was having you on. Surely, <laughs> no, no, because the entire like the PI, the co-PI, every big professor was suddenly being extremely embarrassed and saying, "Oh my word, how does one compute that already?" And <laughs> and that's everyone that was that happened to be on the bridge, which was anyway the like the area where you can 
like b to read correctly or whatever it was like okay is it b square minus four ac um, <laughs> eventually we found it but it was so yeah that was the one occasion where we needed it but that's also where i realized that okay no one can do these type of things by yes. by head anymore like there's a reason why we have softwares normally to compute it <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay, maybe very, very niche specific circumstances might require you yeah, to. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> maybe in some incredibly unfortunate coincidences, you might have to, but it's really, really rare that's a, yeah, yeah, that you have to regurgitate right. your, your knowledge. Yeah. But you passed yeah. your exams. <laughs> Eventually, yes. Well, on the first three try, I passed them because, well, I studied to pass the exam, basically. And uh, so I pulled mm -hmm. out all of the past exams and uh, so the type of questions that were asked and learned that's like i still didn't necessarily get a better grasp grasp sorry of the topic but yeah i passed the exams i can relate to that i was very good at exams and getting good grades and tests and mm. things and then i had to learn over time that like that set of skills those don't make me a researcher like i have to learn a whole new set of skills mm. to be a creative research person or i'm attempting to be a creative research person anyway um yeah but sorry, I interrupted. What were you saying? I was saying, oh yeah, I was saying that uh, the good things about that, what these three years of engineering is that um, they force you to spend your summers doing work experience. Mm -hmm. So the first year was a total waste of my time during which I nearly lost a kidney. And that's a story for another day. Mm. But <laughs> the, the second year, um, I went to a research lab in Canada, well, in, in Quebec, actually, in Quebec City, more specifically. And that was just fantastic. And that's when... I mean, I already wanted to be a researcher before because I I always hated having to explain whether I'm a miss or a missus because I always found that incredibly sexist and mm -hmm. backward and whatever. So I wanted to be doctor yeah. for the problem <laughs> to be solved. And uh, yeah, like France that. doesn't care. They still call you miss or missus, but, uh, but yeah. But yes, that was my motivation, you know, like I'll be a doctor. So... Yeah. I wanted to be a researcher, or at least I wanted to have a PhD. And then I went to Canada and I had a fantastic time there. And that just made me real, well, that reinforced that idea that, yes, I want to be a researcher. And in particular, I was... What was the, what was the, what, what um, grabbed you about it? Was it something about the project or the people? Yeah, you I was going to say that, that uh, it was, well, first, yeah, the people there. Uh, I mean, I had a great, great time. The people are so nice, as in mm. super friendly. And... Uh, but also the, the environment there. And, and I worked on a series of topics. So I spent four months there. And I think I worked on four different topics, or at least three different ones. And it was very much hydrology first. But mm. one of the people that I worked with made me try to relate the flow of a river to the, some, the NAO and so and so on, and which I'd oh, wow. never heard of up until then. And mm. I thought that it was just fantastic, this climate indices type of idea. Climate. Let me read more about climate, and that's. Mm. I can't remember how that happened, but uh, that person passed me that this like the book about climate modeling. I've forgotten the name about, and I just devoured that book, and well, I still have a copy of it at home, mm. of course, and uh, that, that person gave me, and mm. that's when I decided that after that that, ooh, climate modeling, yeah, I want to do that. No nice. idea what really that involves, but well, never done any modeling, but. Yes, let's yeah. do it. Yeah, you got inspired by it. That's cool. No, that's yeah. great. I'm, I'm glad. But this person um, whose name I've actually forgotten since because he was not my official supervisor, so I don't have his name written anywhere on any document. <laughs> oh, which wow. I find a bit sad because I I would like to like 
well, I have no hope of spontaneously bumping into him at a conference, I guess. Oh, fuck. I can always uh, hope. But then like, hey, well, you, <laughs> thank you. Maybe, maybe you're listening. Maybe you can reach out. <laughs> maybe. That, was, that was me. I did that. Yeah. <laughs> they can reach out to us later <laughs> if they're listening. Yeah. Uh, Random person uh, who supervised me more than 10 years ago, if you recognize yourself, now is the time. <laughs> Come forward. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Excellent. So, how did you figure out a pathway into the into the field? What was the next step for you? Well, the next step was unfortunately the last year of engineering school, and that was mm. quite that was really torture, honestly, to go mm. back to sitting passively listening to old people talk about things that they had not updated in twenty years after spending four months like happily typing around and coding and looking at data and figures and doing my own thing, and yeah, I was really looking forward to getting out of that and. Um, and so the next step was that I, I started applying already for PhDs around that time when I came back mm -hmm. and also like sorting out my last year's, well, my last year's internship or whatever you call that, which is a six months project. And there happened to be, well, I was thinking of going abroad and then I realized that now I'm probably going to go abroad for my PhD. So I may as well like stay here for the last one. And there was actually a researcher that was collaborating with that place because they had a massive wave tank so mm. that researcher was doing his experiments there in that big wave tank but he was actually based in at the l'océan in paris mm -hmm. and he was doing southern ocean stuff oh cool so that's how i got into polar oceanography already just thinking about that project who was it if you don't mind uh, Frédéric Vivier. okay uh, i think i've seen the name around yeah yeah probably probably yeah. seen him at conference i mean he was definitely at a I remember seeing you last in Portland, and I actually bumped into him in Portland. So, oh, cool! So you may have been in the same room without knowing it. <laughs> Getting back to walking right past each other yeah. and not knowing, not knowing the the possible connection. Well, that was there, also yeah. a typical case event of like him and I walking past each other like very briefly through the door, like, oh, hello. <laughs> but it, <laughs> shouldn't be surprised to see you. But yeah, conferences are good for that. Maybe yeah, maybe we'll get back to that eventually. Mm. Just running into each other again randomly yeah i must admit that's the one thing about uh, for the science it is much more comfortable to be at home mm -hmm. honestly and even the sound quality and everything is much better but mm. i miss this spontaneous aspect of conferences that's like you start talking to people just because you're together in the coffee queue and that's like hmm, i've seen your name somewhere yeah. <gasps> oh where do you are the it's you <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I have done that, honestly. I've been a science groupie to someone. Yeah. You know, can I say hello to them? I know who they are. I've seen their, their name tag. I've never met them. Can I say hello? Can I say, I loved your most recent paper. <laughs> but the Martin of Martin Etal 2015, am I word? Ah. Yes. That's yeah. great. I've, I've stood behind somebody who reviewed one of my papers before. They had signed it, so I knew they were my reviewer. Not reviewer review number two. Yeah, that can be awkward. <laughs> That went fine, actually, and uh, I uh, I forget if we had submitted the revision yet or not, but I I, th I think we had a conversation about how, like, basically we had decided not to do something he had suggested, mm -hmm. and he, he seemed fine with it. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you can ignore me. That's fine. You can. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to take him at face value. And, and mm -hmm. you know, again, getting back to that first thing we were talking about, about do people mean what they say, like. I'm just yeah. I'm just going to take people at face value. I'm not going to second guess them. Well, especially in the I mean, context of reviews, like what's the point of writing it then, or like write it more clearly that 
this is only a suggestion and I will not be offended if you don't do it. But yeah, yeah. blah, 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 rather than... How big was this wave tank? It was, was big. Like, yeah, yeah. It was like, really big. I have no idea. I'm very bad at estimating distances, but it was big. Living room size? No, or... it was no? huge, like warehouse size. Warehouse size. Mm. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, you need a you need a warehouse to house this. Mm, they had that proper massive structure with... Uh, it had... Uh, two or three different tanks in it because they had that typical super long one in which you, you drag your, your boat mm -hmm. thing. How do you call that in English? Like the small version of your uh, model, I guess. Yeah, yeah. The scale model, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But they also had some wave, as in you stand there and you generate wave with having that thing that goes up and down mm. above tank. And we got to play in that in the last year. And that was the moment of my engineering studies that I enjoyed. <laughs> oh, nice. Oh, that's cool. Well, play, sorry. Do some very serious experiments. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. What was, this, what was the Southern Ocean part? You said there was a Southern Ocean part you did? It was someone that was uh, doing some... No, it was that uh, Frédéric Vivier that was doing mm -hmm. experiments mm -hmm. there to test something to do with sea ice i'm not quite sure honestly what it was doing okay, okay. it was yeah it was a long time ago and um and i may not have paid massive attention yeah but no because what i did uh, instead was very much in paris and it was analysis of argo floats well argo float data yeah oh that's cool mm. and that was nice and that's, that's what you did before coming to uea in norwich yep. uh, for, i uh, like likewise the reason why i came to uea was quite a coincidence because so one reason you can come back to it actually like one reason also why i'm so open about how academia works is because i'm so annoyed at how many things i have to discover by myself because mm -hmm. no one in my family went i think well my uncle got a master's degree but he's the most advanced of everyone so yeah yeah everything about academia i have to discover on my own and i'm really frustrated by how often it's like oh yeah of course yeah great thank you for never telling me <laughs> so uh one of the things i discovered was that for example i'd already decided that i wanted to do my phd in an english-speaking country Mm -hmm. because I didn't see the point of doing it in France where I would have to write my thesis in French. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, great. Who is going to read that after? And I thought if I'm going to do it abroad, I may as well do it in a country that speaks English, like not mm -hmm. a country where we would have to speak English with each other, but like, let's do it in proper English, let's say. And mm -hmm. uh, for, as I was totally uninformed, I first aimed towards the U.S., I'm glad that uh, I didn't go there because I didn't know of that thing of you need. I would have basically needed to redo a master's degree and that anyway, you know, healthcare mm -hmm. and everything that makes the US not necessarily very attractive as a country to live in. Yeah. But anyway, that's how I discovered that, oh, I need to pass some very specific language exams to be even allowed to apply. Oh, and there's a waiting time for these exams. And oh, I would gosh. anyway probably need like this, either the TOEFL or the TOEIC. I have no idea what that stands for. It's like language competency where you have to do some reading exams, some listening exam. You have to do, yeah, li oh reading, gosh. listening, writing, and speaking. Wow. So, of course, you have to prepare a bit for it, but mostly it's, uh, it's a two-part test. You have to, um, pressure, I can't remember, honestly, how it works. But I remember having to do, go to two different places on two different days to, to manage to do it. Of course, oh it's not available just r right where you are. Part of it I had to do in Paris, even for I was in Nantes at that time. Mm. So yeah, all of these um, extra barriers means that I missed the deadline to apply for the US ones, but it's okay. I applied for one in London and 
that would have been in climate modeling. And I had the feeling that I was going to get it, as in from the way that person was interacting with me. Hmm. And then one day he emailed me and saying, oh, sorry, you were actually number two and uh, number one accepted. So, hey, good oh. luck. And, oh, well. and I was beyond all the deadlines for everything because I was so convinced I was going to get that one. Yeah. And that's how then uh, a bit, a bit, let's say, unimpressed, I just Googled around, okay, UK plus polar oceanography. I can't remember what I typed, but something like that. And that's how UEA popped up. Because, of course, I'd never heard of Norwich before. <laughs> no, right. Yeah. Who has? And, yeah. <laughs> well, some people actually that are into football told me, oh, yes, Norwich. But, uh, well, I'm not into football. So and, uh, that was, uh, yeah, one lucky coincidence, let's say. And just a series of coincidences like that. Because also I rocked up with my engineering background to the interview trying to convince my potential supervisor that, it's totally the same, you know, fluid dynamics, real world, <laughs> same thing, right? <laughs> you just throw rotation in there and you're good. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's... <laughs> it's the same thing, but just bigger. Okay, we'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. And she, um... oh, apparently I managed to apply also for one that was not even for me. That was only for UK students. But I didn't <laughs> that part of the announcement. So, so yeah, I had, um, and it was, I've discovered also since that uh, it's, like Karen Haywood is one of the biggest names in the field, at least in the UK. But of course, yeah, I knew nothing sure. about that at that time because I was not at all in that field. So, <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's just a bizarre series of stuff that I think if, if I'd known any of these aspects, things would have turned out way less well than what they had. Like, had I known that she was basically like such a very important person, I would have like dreaded my interview I would probably never even have applied for it in the first place and yeah. so just... at that intimidation factor right? <laughs> exactly. but, yeah little did you know you were going to do your PhD with an oceanography celebrity yeah <laughs> now I know that oh okay that's one name that really opens many doors but yeah absolutely. so what happened straight after did you do a postdoc in not in the UK no um I so straight after the PhD well before the end of the PhD of course because I never well, you don't do things at the last time, even for a... By that point, I think I'd learned the concept of, okay, some, some procedures take more time than you expect. So hmm. so in my last year of PhD, I already started, well, checking around. And uh, in the UK, they made it clear they didn't have money for me, so I would need to go somewhere else. And I I really hesitated between going going to the US. Yeah, once again, I was thinking about it. and hmm. Or going to Scandinavia. Mm -hmm. And in the US, it would have been Seattle. And I remember being there and realizing that, oh, I really like Seattle because it feels European. Hmm. And then thinking that, why am I even going there? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Europe feels even yeah. more European. Exactly. <laughs> so I stayed in Europe and um, I pestered random people that I met at conferences saying, hey, I met you at that conference. Really liked your talk, definitely. And uh, do you have money for me? <laughs> or can I come and do a postdoc with you? And I'm actually surprised by the number of people that replied with hmm. like, oh, what does that offer? Or does that offer? But none of them was really on something I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And so instead, I had Anna Volin here in, um, in Sweden say that, well, I don't have money, but what about you apply for this Marie Curie thing? So, yeah. but yeah, you know. Why not? Let's apply because I was I had a bit of time and I said, you know, my PhD. 
I don't know how that happened, but I finished basically early and my supervisor then told me, well, come on, stay and take the money. Don't don't submit early. Don't be silly. So I so had some time even to go back to some work I was doing during my master's. And I so I had some time also to write to that proposal, which got funded. So they are moved to Sweden. Amazing. So you speak Swedish as well now? Yeah, I had to because uh, the people there would not talk to me. <laughs> How did it compare to doing your research in the UK and in France and Canada? Lonely is probably the best way to describe it mm. because people, I don't know if it's the culture as in the way the social interactions between people or if it's because of the research funding mm. environment. Mm-hmm. But people are very much not working as groups. They are, well, or the group will be yourself plus the people you pay. But right. there's not, yeah. there's very few, rather. There are some examples, but people in the same department just sometimes it feels like they happen to be at the same place. Mm-hmm. But that there's not really that feeling of, yeah, we're all part of the same thing. Let's do something big together. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I've definitely been in departments that feel like that, mm. where it's more isolated and there isn't much interaction. And it makes such a big difference if you're in a department where, you know, people socialize a little bit and they might even work on some things together or at least kind of bounce ideas off of each other and, you know, have a bit of that collegial collegial kind of relationship. And yeah, so, but that's not been you haven't found a lot of that so it sounds like so far socializing has been better so i moved department by the way since Mm -hmm. moving to sweden so i spent three years in the marine sciences department yeah let's just say that's there they are not very nice to their staff that are not expected to stay at least at that point they were not and you definitely are made to feel it and i've had comments like why should i include you on my proposal since you're a postdoc you're going to leave like that type of feeling or that's gross and constantly like you know holding the prospect of a position as that carrot so that you you attend all the meetings and you pretend that you care about their boat and all of this stuff and uh, but there's always a reason not to open that position so i actually Mm -hmm. it's honestly out of spite that i got that position that i have now because i I was I <laughs> trying to get uh, my head of department to accept that if I were to obtain external funding, they would hire me under that job title. Mm-hmm. And I, I made well, I checked actually what are the conditions for that type of employment at the university. So of course I typed the name of the position plus the name of the university, and the first thing that popped up was an ad from the department where I am now about that position mm-hmm. that they were advertising. <laughs> and uh, and I read it and realized that huh, it's earmarked for someone, but uh, they phrased it in such a way that I can apply. So <laughs> so I went through my meeting with my then head of department, which went as badly as any other previous meeting. Oh, no. And so I left it for absolutely furious and then applied for the other position because, you know, I have nothing to lose. And I certainly owe. That was one thing I needed to learn also, that I don't owe any workplace loyalty or at least mm-hmm. it goes both ways mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely yeah no i've i've had comments like that made uh to me in previous jobs where i was a uh, temporary where i was on a fixed term kind of contract and uh, it's really it's insulting isn't it to go to someone and to say i'm excited about this idea i want to contribute to it i like what you're doing and to have them just turn around and say 
yeah, but you're going to leave anyway. So mm. what's the point? It's just really insulting. And um, I'm calling you a risk uh, as well, like the, oh. the loft doing that. And uh, ask every single meeting with that person, with that particular person started with, what are you doing on basically the day of the end of my contract plus one day? And every time making the same joke of, well, you do what you want, but you don't do it here. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay, that, that's really horrible. Yeah, he was a horrible that's... person. And that's also when I lost faith in... Um, well, HR type of processes that are, yeah, yeah. Let's say lots of people had issues with that person, but um, yeah, mm. of course, it's much easier to just wait for the person to retire anyway because it's not that far from retiring. Oh, mm. But you're you're out um, of that department now. Yes, <laughs> but I'm still traumatized by it. So you can't, I, I generally struggle to go physic to that building because it's just yeah. well, I can feel the tension and the nausea coming, but. And I don't want to see people there. No, so, no, no, I don't blame you. No. I don't blame you. I'm glad you got out of there. Yeah, I'm so am I. <laughs> oh and I, that's also where I learned the lesson of even if a position is clearly earmarked for someone, well, you still have a chance. And uh, yeah, it's Go ahead. if they're stupid enough to not check their phrasing correctly. It did feel very awkward for to like still bump into that person. Like, yeah. I know that per- that position was to make you permanent, but uh, yeah, Here I am. sorry. Here I <laughs> well, am. not sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. Sometimes you do have to just kick the door down, don't you? And you know, hmm. it's kind of you, you're talking about putting, looking out for yourself a bit, right, and taking care of yourself. And it sounds like that that's an act of self care of saying, okay, I am not functioning here. I'm not. I don't feel safe here. I don't feel healthy here. I need to get out. I need to find some other solution. Mm. And you, you did. You did it. Mm. You're very tough. You're very like um, tenacious, and you know, I, I appreciate that. Oh, anger gets you a long way. <laughs> like what fights <laughs> or whatever you call it. Mm. It's uh, that's fair. It's a surprising motivation. That's the desire to prove over wrong. There should be a, an award for that. <laughs> the angriest person. Oh, no, because then Twitter would become impossible again. <laughs> it would make Twitter even worse, yeah. Mm. Oh, I wanted to say, this is a really awkward transition, but I wanted to say uh, congrats on the on the award you won. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of awards, uh, oh, yeah, funny that the, you mentioned uh, that, yeah. 2022 Ocean Science Division Outstanding Early Career Scientist Award yes. for, for EGU. So congratulations on that. That's thank very you. Cool. Yeah, I did see so you were talking on Twitter about that a little bit. I thought it was interesting. You made, if you don't mind talking about this, you you said something about that. Apparently, there are people who nominate. Like you were commenting on learning about. I'm not saying that you did this, but you were commenting on how yeah. you learned. You did that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's I am. So what I can explain even is that I spent. I mean, I of course every year I check who gets the awards in what. Mm-hmm. And yeah. some years I'm thinking, yeah, of course, or even thinking, oh, hang on, is this person still an early career scientist? Really? I can't mm-hmm. believe that. They've achieved so much. Mm-hmm. And But there are some other moments where I was thinking, uh, okay, I mean, mm-hmm. maybe they did more than I'm aware, but uh, like, they don't seem that impressive to me. Mm-hmm. And just thinking about it sometimes, and we were chatting during EGU with a friend of mine, and uh, she is basically the one that pepped me into like contacting other people and saying, hey, it might sound awkward, but uh, what about you nominate me? And that's I managed to help her to doing the same actually on her side and uh, like identifying who should we even contact and annoy. And uh, 
And when I said that later to the people that nominated me, they they all reacted in a, well, to the people that nominated me and over I talked with, they all said, well, of course, that's, I'm glad you did that because, you know, you, as, how to say, as someone that nominates, you know, you potentially think about directly the people that are working for you, but you don't necessarily think about people that's, that are there, but that you don't necessarily see every day. So yeah, sure, do contact me. And I always thought that, you know, just being excellent is enough and that someone would think about you and nominate you. And it turns out that uh, apparently, no, it is common-ish, well, especially judging from the comments I replied, oh, I received from that tweet, but uh, that, yeah, it is actually quite common that, hmm. that no, you have to be a bit more active in, uh, in your nomination process and as bizarre and embarrassing as it feels to approach someone and say, hello, uh, would hey, you give me that fancy, shiny thing? Uh, <laughs> you know? Fancy saying about how great I am. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what about we write my nomination package together? <laughs> and, oh my and gosh. It's, um, yeah, that's apparently the way to go. And as a result, I have extremely mixed, I mean, I'm super well, grateful about that mm-hmm, award, mm-hmm. but I also have very mixed feelings about it that's past the initial whoa 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 i'm uh, i'm outstanding yes <laughs> that's uh, i realized that yeah well karen haywood nominated me and um uh, and i had to ask mm. her to do it mm. that's it's it's one of these things like maybe if you're aware of that and that you've accepted it from the beginning maybe you're fine but me i'm i don't know these things are so important so like they're like in all of your applications, there's always this very specific category for your awards and things. And and I don't like this whole thing in academia that regularly there are all of these hidden rules that you don't know. And it's mm-hmm. only once you've done it yourself that you realize how to do it. Yeah. And, and of course, we're not going to be handed a handbook to or how to academia or, well, maybe we should, but it just feels a bit unfair. Or even... You know, these nomination things, like this, all of these awards maybe should have a, a line somewhere that says, hey, by the way, if you feel that you should, that you deserve that award, contact your mentors. It is mm. not at all embarrassing. It is normal. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. And it's, a, I really like that um, as a motivation for being open. Like you said, there's a reason to kind of kick the door down a bit and say, look what's going on in here. Here's how this is. Here's how this actually works. Um, you know, here's how you can actually play play the game a little bit. And I mean, to use maybe that's not the best phrase, but I guess it feels like that sometimes, right? You sort of see what the game is and mm. learn learn how to play it. Yeah, um, and I don't like and, also that feeling. Well, of, of course, going through engineering that means that you have that mentality of I've suffered, therefore you shall suffer as well. And I hmm. I disagree with that. Like once someone has cracked the code, why do you keep it for yourself? And yeah no i don't perpetuating the suffering just feels like being that's just like a cycle of abuse sort of Mm. mentality of like i was abused therefore i'll abuse you like no that is that's not good that's not a good way to build communities and to build cohesive you know social units the best way to say is i was abused and that's strange but that means i can recognize abuse and help others that i see are abused or prevent others from being abused but Mm -hmm. Yeah, stop that cycle mm. and take care of people instead of, you know, just continuing that that harm. 
That's so important. Yeah, yeah. If we can kind of reduce the amount of harm in the world and reduce the amount of harm being done to the, to the world, that's a, a, a beautiful thing. And I think it's also that I've given up on making the world a better place via my research because I, mm -hmm. you know, I joined academia thinking that I'm going to solve climate change, of course, uh, because to me, that was the only possible explanation as to why it was not solved yet, that we needed more science. And yeah. then I realized that, okay, no, we, we don't need more science for that. We need action. And that's why then my new mission has been has then become that, okay, I'm going to solve academia. Because <laughs> a lot of problems. But at least, even if I don't single-handedly solve it, I refuse to be, well, to be part of the problem, rather. I like that, yeah, that's it. You still have lots of ambition. And my thought on that is like, I'm going to solve dinner. <laughs> I'm going to figure out. Like, <laughs> well, you solve what you can, you know. And some days, I, well, I'm trying to make the world a better place one day at a time just because, well, coming from an abusive family, I've probably been abusive mm. myself until I finally realized that, oh, that type of behavior is not okay at all. So mm. at least these mm. last few years, I've tried. And also because, as you said earlier today, it feels good to to make the world a better place, even if it's just talking to a random stranger. or So some days my only action is to feed the birds. And yeah. the birds are happy, and that's good. And some other days, then I take on more, well, <laughs> bigger tasks. That's right. Yeah, you could imagine a cynical person saying, well, what does feeding one bird matter? That's not going to change anything. And you can say, well, it mattered to that bird. Mm. You, know, you made a difference for that bird's day. <laughs> And you fed that one bird and sometimes it is what you can do sometimes it is in the scope of you know what how you can affect the, the world in a good way i want i want to i could talk a lot more but i want to respect your time and you know i guess let you let you get on with your day and do whatever else you're going to do this this evening to kind of well it's start, start it's the six o'clock and it's been dark for two hours so not much is the answer i'm going to yeah pet the cat and uh, i can hear that uh, dinner is starting to be cooked already so we can um, don't worry on my side <laughs> is there anything else you want to talk about i don't know anything else you want to cover well we still haven't talked about uh, what research i'm doing because i've been complaining <laughs> so, so these last few days i've been um <laughs> well that's the point you know i don't really have any time for research but uh yeah, but I, yeah. um, i'm busy looking at uh, what the climate models are up to in the arctic this time because oh, i yeah. that's one thing also that i've gotten to realize that i actually really of all the tasks i could be doing looking at climate models and pinpointing how wrong they are and why they are wrong is sounds boring but it's actually a task that i really enjoy and yeah. um, and someone so, needs to do it yeah it's really, has. Important. <laughs> yeah. it's really important and you're you're good at it like you know you've got these papers where you're like here's what's wrong with all of the here's how all of these climate models yeah. are wrong or 36 of them. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I'm working... beautiful in different ways. <laughs> That's the point. You know, they all have their strengths and, uh, and all have their weaknesses. They're all particularly weak in some uh, very specific locations. That's Bottom water, Antarctic bottom water. <laughs> well, I'm looking at the Arctic right now. Trust yeah, me, yeah. Antarctic bottom water is good in comparison. It's is it? shocking. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm. Ooh. So yeah. like just much more biased. Yeah, um, well, it's to the point that we are deciding um, to make a paper series, even with uh, two of our colleagues, that's to look at various aspects of how wrong they are at different parts of the water column. And well, two of us are looking at how wrong they are, and the third one then is leading the and what is the impact on something. Oh, right. Yeah. 
So I've been uh, I've been busy trying to figure out how to look at dense water overflows, which to be fair is also one of my soft spots that I really like looking at, and mm. so which is crucial for ventilation in the deep Arctic. And it is mm. an absolute pain to look at in models in the Arctic, where, since they all have their funny grids, and so you can't look at it using the velocity, because mm. one thing that I learned recently. And uh, that's really good that I've been mostly looking at the Southern Ocean so far, is that uh, these funny grids that don't have the North Pole at the exact North Pole, mm -hmm. the northward velocity is not the velocity towards increasing latitudes. Right. It's the velocity pointing towards wherever they put their North Pole. Oh, my God. <laughs> so that means that you would <laughs> first need to figure out where is the North Pole. And I like generally determine things and then rotate everything and re-regularize. And uh, some of them are even quite creative in how they curve their, their longitudes. And yeah. so, I oh mean, you can be motivated and do that, or you can just decide that, yeah, how can I avoid using the velocity field? <laughs> Easy solution. Easier mm. solution. <laughs> when, when you're really trying to figure out something that flows northward, it's not easy to not use the velocity, but... Uh, yeah. So that's been my last few days of trying to figure out what can I use instead and uh, what would be the criteria then with, I mean, looking at the density then, of course, which is very fun to compute for heavy models and uh, trying to see even where are they happening because the shelf break is not a thing in most models as well. And uh, huh. yeah. Like, is uh, any of those Python tools possibly useful for that? Uh, like the XGCM and XMITX? Uh, X-ray and all of that. Okay, I'm probably going to fall in your opinion, but I really don't like Python. I've been mm, trying, mm. honestly, this last... So these last few months, I've dedicated every... Well, except for the last few two weeks, because I've been... I've had to have other things happening. But otherwise, I've been dedicated my Fridays to learning, and among other things, Friday afternoons to learning mm -hmm. Python. Yeah. And I am so frustrated by that thing, that whenever I want to do anything, I have to first inst figure out which package I need and mm -hmm. install it and that half of them are designed for Linux and that there's always a smart ass whenever you're complaining that says, well, easy, switch to Linux. Mm. Yeah, as if I had the option. You know, if I could, I would be on Linux. Thank you very much. That is not helpful. And yeah. that thing that you pointed out about the environment just blew my mind and made me realize that, oh, true. Mm. At least with MATLAB, you have some sort of version control thing. So like mm. if I were to say I'm using MATLAB 2021b, all the packages belong to that version as well. Whereas Python, technically, I should have a long list of this package was installed on that day so that I remember. And that really, really blew me at that point. And I thought, like, why am I even? I mean, that means nothing is reproducible unless, unless I use this container thing that's, well, Docker, sorry, that you're talking about. But that really drops my motivation to learn Python. It's challenging, right? Yeah, you need an environment that you can reproduce, which is like yeah. a set of packages. And there are ways to do all that without Docker. Like you don't have to use the whole container thing. So yeah, you don't have to use all that. You can, uh, if you can get just straight up Conda or a different package manager to work, then that can work. I just had so many problems with Conda that I ended up going down that Docker route because that that's been working more consistently for me. Mm -hmm. um, there's always loads of people who swear that like, you don't have to do all that. You don't need containers and stuff, but I don't know. I always seem to, it doesn't seem to work unless I 
unless I use them. So No, I was just commenting, yeah, every time these people that tell you, no, you don't need to do that, then they come up with that long list of what else you should do instead, which is always like you have to summon so many different things and install packages and softwares yeah. and whatever and okay, modify your kernel. And, yeah. Yeah. Sacrifice goats, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> repeat this incantation yeah. seven times exactly and, uh, yeah. don't forget to clap your hands <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i have mixed feelings i do like the open source community aspect of python but there is a big learning curve to really getting started with it that i feel like sometimes there are some folks who are like so gung-ho about python that they sort of it feels like they gloss over that a bit um, it does feel like a religion for some of them, honestly. This whole <laughs> mantra of it has to be open source, everything open and Linux, and and they don't mm -hmm. even code in uh, with like Spider or whatever. They go for the most obscure one, and they're not even on Python anymore. They're on Julia now because that is the new. <laughs> and it's it's a bit like Twitter, you know. You need to be a bit more tolerant, and you need to like for some things. I agree, and we should definitely teach the students to the beauty of open source. But at the same time, MATLAB, you pay for it, but you also pay for the whole help that goes around it and the entire documentation, yeah, and the fact yeah. that it works. So, do you need to get the job done quickly, or do you need to get the job done? I don't know, in the ethical way. Ideally, mm -hmm. you could do both at the same time, but especially in the context of teaching. Now I realize that first year undergrad, don't go for Python unless you have prepared everything for them before. Like that, right, to make right. sure that the machine already has all the environment set up and everything, because that's just the best way to disgust them from coding. If you if you go the Python route, was you know you provide them the script and they have to click here, and at some point they just have to enter one line. Mm. Okay. That's an That's easy thing to start. And then, yeah. then when you have hooked them in the third year, then you can start going, so let me tell you about Python. <laughs> and then at the master's, you get them on WGET and whatever. And <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's a good way to draw people in instead of mm. telling them that they have to set up all their environment and stuff first. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Get them. I still use MATLAB too. I mean, sometimes you just it just works and you just need it. So I'm trying to keep my my foot in both areas, I guess you could say. Mm. Well, I'm um, trying to go more, to put my foot more and more into Python for yeah. the whole ethical aspect of it, which is very important. Yeah, I agree. This has been awesome. This has been so good. Yeah. I know that we didn't talk about science a ton, <laughs> um, but that's okay, actually, because like the, you know, the show, the name of it is Scientist. So it's about the people mm. is really kind of what we like to focus on. And we, you know, we end up talking about science along the way, but like, the personal stuff, the mental health stuff is so important and the like navigating academia, all the, you know, behind the scenes information about how you can do this sort of thing and how it really works. I think all that's great. And then I really enjoyed this chat with you today. And again, thank you for coming along and for sharing everything that you shared with us and for being gracious when I put my foot in my mouth. I appreciate that. Yeah, um, I debated <laughs> making a joke about it when we when I said to like invoke stuff, but uh, I was gracious enough to not go back to that show. Well, I would have accepted it and been like, yep, I It's okay. That. I maintain that it is okay and that I'm not offended and that you have not sent me down a spiral of grief or whatever. No, really, okay. I am fine on that aspect like i'm too busy being upset about cop 26 to, to think <laughs> about anything so. i feel that so uh, don't worry yeah. and so oh, it was a pleasure to talk to you also because we haven't talked in a long time so it has been a really yeah. long time yeah i i know we 
have run into each other at conferences a lot and we we always seem to click right away like we just seem to get along really we seem to be on like a similar wavelength and be able to to chat and i really i really enjoy that i've really enjoyed our our science friendship over the years and uh you know running into you and chatting and i enjoy seeing you on twitter as well like you're one of the you know people that i really like to see on there and i like what your your contributions and i like interacting with you on on there oh, so thank, thank you. you thank you again so much yeah and, and uh, uh, hello if you're coming to to boros again you know <laughs> let me know i'm very i'm very likely to be there mm. in february and i was actually thinking if i can uh weasel in some science stops on the way back because it's a long old journey on a train back mm-hmm. from sweden so if i can stop in gothenburg maybe in copenhagen maybe utrecht on the way back that'd be great you should so, yes. shout out to anyone along the way as well. Hello, <laughs> may I book a, you? You need to talk. Yeah. Oh, oh, that nice. can be arranged. Don't worry. Excellent. The the grand tour of uh, yeah. Scandinavia and Northern Europe and a uh, science talk and overall, you know, walk around and uh, and introduce you to the whole Fika thing and uh, exactly all the meetings and yeah, nice. yeah, oh, yeah. Well, meetings. And Ella, thank you for being an excellent co-host. Thank you for. Uh, helping along the way it was really good to have you here as well to keep keep the conversations going and ask ask good questions i just wanted to express some appreciation i'm glad thank we get you to do this together. thanks thanks for everything the whole thing has been wonderful it's been very nice to to chat as always <laughs> yeah good thank you oh let me try to yeah thank you um selena Jose. um very good with, with no, no breath <laughs> don't breathe and thank you ella have a good weekend both of you yeah, you too. And you. Take care. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Ciao. There you have it. My conversation with Celine Jose. Thanks very much to Celine for joining me. You can find Celine on Twitter at CLNHZ. And let me give you some thanks right now. Thanks to Ella Gilbert for co-hosting. Thanks to Sean Williams-Page for editing services. And a big thanks to Lillian Blair for audio engineering services. Okay, so uh, I've got somebody with me here today. Do you want to say hello? Hi. <laughs> that is Alex. That's my kid. Thanks for joining me on this outro. I appreciate it. How's your day going? I'm pretty good. I'm just sat downstairs yeah. just doing things. Yeah, nice. Well, this is fun. It's good to have another co-host. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I don't really have anything else that I need to say. Or anything might else pop that up I... here a couple more times you might pop in up future here. podcasts, but I... we'll have to see. Yeah, that would be totally totally cool with me. You're welcome anytime. Yeah. <laughs> okay, take care. All right, I think we're going to... I mean, I've got a couple more work things to do, but I think the plan is to make a pillow fort, you said? Yeah. Make a pillow fort. There's a big sheet that we're using right now. We're under this big sheet. Uh, and that sheet helps to absorb some of the sound. But all right, take care. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.